0: CHAPTER Eighteen OF THE GODDESS OF ATVATBAR BY WILLIAM RICHARD Bradshaw. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN RECORDING BY NIGEL FISHER THE JOURNEY TO THE BORMIDOPHIA THE PALACE BELL ANNOUNCED THE BEGINNING OF A NEW DAY IN KALMGUR I HAD NOT SLEPT DURING THE HOURS OF REST, EXCITED AS I WAS BY OUR VISIT TO NAPHISTASIA AND THE STRANGE CUSTOMS OF ATVATBAR. KOSHNILI ARRIVED SOON AFTER THE BELL HAD SOUNDED, To inform me that the king had commanded his royal army to be assembled in the great square beyond the palace walls to escort us to the bormidophia where a solemn act of worship would be performed before the throne of the gods this was a most delightful message as nothing on earth could please me better than to witness the glories of the bormidophia the army under the command of prince Coltonobori, the brother of the king commander-in-chief consisted of two hundred and fifty thousand wayleals or flying soldiers and 50,000 Bochakids, or Flying Cavalry. There was also a detachment of 10,000 Fleetemings, or Sailors of the Royal Navy. These were drawn up in review in a vast square before the Royal Palace. Superb Bochakids conveyed us the four miles to the Bormidophia in the centre of the city. The King and Queen, both of whom wore crowns blazing with jewels, sat with Kosnili and myself in the first palanquin of Bockids. The high officers of the government and the nobles of the barodomy, together with the officers and sailors of the Polar King, were distributed among the other stately litters. The route to the Pantheon was lined with palaces. An immense population thronged either side of the roadway. A review of the army took place en route. The wayleals first rose into an enormous flying column, which subsided into whirling domes and afterward broke up into a dozen living globes that appeared to roll one after the other on the ground. These were dissolved into a solid army marching on foot for a time. Then, as if by magic, the entire mass of men rose into spiral columns, which dissolved into vast rings, inextricably involved with each other. It was a sight unique and bewildering. Behind the wayleals, 50,000 bocker kept up their steady march. The people shouted with enthusiasm. A mimic battle took place in the air above us. 10,000 wayleals fought on either side brilliant in many-coloured uniforms. Finally, a rainbow arch of flying men spanned the entrance to the great square of the Bormadophia, or Pantheon. Amid the thunder of guns and music, the entire company alighted at the doors of the Pantheon, which consisted of an immense circular pile of buildings over a mile in circumference. The interior revealed a scene of surpassing magnificence. Endless tiers of seats were arranged in terraces that, rising above each other, traversed the wide sweep of the amphitheatre. The entire pantheon, with its adjacent palaces and colonnades, was sculpted out of a hill of green marble. The exterior walls, rising 200 feet, were crowned with a lofty dome of enamelled glass, through which the light of the sun streamed in myriad colours on the sea of worshippers beneath. The walls of the pantheon, both exteriorly and interiorly, were sculptured with immense reliefs, the trophies of invention and art, as well as the magical symbols of spiritual forces. The lowest circle of the amphitheatre reached down 100 feet below the level of the outer pavement, and the royal seat was on a level with the ground, and 50 feet below the top of the far-framed golden throne of the gods that stood in the centre of the immense building. Our entrance was the signal for welcoming music, and a suppressed murmur of excitement from the myriads of worshippers that sat both above and below us. The amphitheatre contained not less than 50,000 people. The moment their majesties were seated... A roar of artillery shook the earth. The forthcoming grand act of worship was evidently instituted in our honour, for we were the observed of all the eyes in that vast concourse of people. A dozen choirs, possessed of all kinds of beautiful instruments, caressed the ear with their melodious songs. There was no dim religious light. Everything was open-eyed beneath that splendid dome. Suddenly a cloud of flying priests and priestesses seated themselves on a pyramid, formed of terraces of solid silver fifty feet in height that supported the miraculous throne they at once began to sing with such force and pathos as to dissolve the multitude into a hush of breathless silence then an immense bell of bronze filled the pantheon with a sonorous moan twelve thrilling tones made souls tremble and heads bow down with the last vibration there rose from the crown of the throne of the gods a living woman nude to the waist having a broad belt of gold studded with gems clasping her figure, from which fell to her feet a garment of Aquilian lace wrought with magical symbols. She was a girl of peerless development. Her arms were long and softly moulded, her breasts firm and splendid. The colour of her complexion and flesh was of soft matte gold, like that of golden fruit, and a perceptible flush warmed her cheeks. Her profile was perfect, being both proud and tender in outline her hair was a heavy glossy mass of a pale sapphire blue colour that fell in a waving cloud around her shoulders her whole figure bore an infinitely gracious expression the result of possessing a tender and sympathetic soul on her head was a tiara of terellium the vermilion metal studded with gems on her neck she wore a necklace of emerald green sapphires while on either wrist were broad gold bracelets having a magnificent blue sapphire on each she was Leone, the supreme goddess of Atvatbar, the representative of Harikar, the Holy Soul, Queen of Magicians, Mother of Sorcerers, and Princess of Arjeels. Standing erect for a moment, as if to assure the vast congregation of her presence, she then slowly sat down on a broad divan of aloe green silk velvet, holding in her right hand the Terellian sceptre of spiritual sovereignty, whose head bore two hearts formed of flaming rubies. I was entranced with the appearance of the divine girl, the object of the adoration of Atvatabar. Every feature of her face was carved with a full and ripe roundness, exhibiting repose and power. Her eyes, large and blue and lustrous, were sorcery itself. There was in them an unutterable tenderness, a divine hospitality, the result of a vast pride and still vaster sympathy. All at once she gazed at me. I felt filled with a fever of delicious delight, intoxicating adoration. I could then understand the devotion of Atvatabar, of hearts slain by eyes that were conquering swords. End of chapter 18